Find your seat and we'll get started. My name is Brent Smith. If you're new with us this morning, we hope you feel very welcome here at Christ Central and we're glad that you're with us. <clears throat> it's June 30th, which means July is tomorrow. My parents are here, which means it's their anniversary today. So, there they are. Yeah. What? Oh, right. And Gary just reminded me that it's the one week anniversary of Francois and Emily Cote. So you can give them a big round of applause, too. Francois is gone, but this still sounds crazy in my head. Is that just me or? Okay, it's just me. Okay. So this morning we're going to look at Psalm 16, uh, continuing our series in Psalms. And uh, this is one of my favorite Psalms. And if it's not one of yours currently, I hope that you'll have a greater appreciation come lunchtime for it. Uh, so if you have your Bibles and you want to turn to Psalm 16, uh, you can do that. Uh, this morning we're going to look at Perseverance, David's Practical Guide to Perseverance. So, uh, And John Waugh hit it right on the head this morning when he talked about how we don't want to just uh, grind through life, but we want to go through it joyfully. And hopefully, uh, as we look at things this morning, uh, you'll be equipped to do that. That we want to joyfully persevere through life. So Psalm 16 is a psalm of David. And it says, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, You are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their name on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel in the night. Also, my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because He is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this morning. We thank you that we can uh, gather together to worship your name and to hear from you. And uh, we just pray, Father, as we look at Psalm 16, that you would open our eyes to behold the wonderful things contained in your word. We just pray that your spirit would guide us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you've lived more than 13 years, you've probably realized that life can be quite hard. And in becoming a Christian, you see that life, although it does get a lot better, can actually be harder when you're uh, following Christ. Uh, so when we seek to follow Christ, oftentimes we have more struggles and more hardships, and Jesus even promised that when we follow Him, we will have troubles. Uh, but as Christians, we're called to persevere 
or endure, and perseverance is at the heart of our Christian life. Hebrews 12.1 says, Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily tangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Uh, 1 Corinthians 4.12 says when we're persecuted, we are to endure. 2 Timothy 4.5 says to endure suffering. James 1.12 said, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. 2 Corinthians 6.4 says, As servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance in afflictions, afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, if you have a baby in the last six months, and hunger, 2 Corinthians 6.4. And to sum it all up, uh, Ephesians 6.18 says that we are to keep alert with all perseverance. So we're called to live day to day with perseverance as a Christian. It's a life of continually choosing to follow Jesus no matter what might get thrown in our way or how we might feel. So this morning, I'm going to use words like suffering or struggle or hardship and so on, but in a very uh, general sense, because uh, I don't want you to think that just because you don't have some big thing going on right now that this doesn't apply to you. You could, you could have a serious illness or chronic pain or a very difficult relationship situation or financial struggles, or you could just have the day-to-day struggles of trying to raise kids and love your spouse and be productive at work and serve God and balance your budget and get through university or find a job, all those things. So no matter where you're at this morning, uh, we're called to persevere. And it can be tough at times, uh, but when we're at our breaking points, we need to persevere to endure. And it doesn't matter what brings you to that breaking point. For some people, it's their whole life coming down around them. Uh, for others, it's just that day-to-day grind of trying to raise children in a godly way and whatnot. And it's not about weakness or strength. It's just that we're wired differently and different people can handle different things. And so, it doesn't matter what gets you there, but when you're there, when you've got your hands on your head and you feel like throwing in the towel, God's Word says to persevere, to keep alert, to wake up, and to endure. So we aren't just talking about huge, pivotal moments in our life. They're included here as well, but perseverance is needed in the hundreds of decisions we make each day. And oftentimes we can feel like we're at that breaking point of our perseverance multiple times a day. And if you look at your day-to-day, you can see many situations probably where you can say, will I persevere towards Christ or not? So the question we should ask is how, which is a great question to ask. And if I just stood here and said persevere, 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 but didn't really go much further than that, then it would probably just add more weight to you. And But that's not my aim this morning. I hope to uh, give you some things this morning that will help you persevere and persevere joyfully. So, looking at Psalm 16, 
We can see right from the very first verse when David says, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge, that David seems to be at that breaking point where he needs to persevere. Okay? It doesn't go into any explanation of what it is, of whether it's sickness or war or just the mind-numbing stress of trying to lead the nation of Israel. But wherever he is, he's there at that breaking point and he's calling out to God uh, to preserve him and give him refuge. And when we see the rest of the chapter, I see six truths that David reminded himself of and declared to God in order to be equipped for perseverance. Six big truths to help him persevere through whatever suffering, hardship he found himself in. So when John said this morning that we want to live joyfully each day, and that sounded great to you, I hope these six things will help you get there. Okay? And I hope you feel my heart in this, that no matter where you're at, no matter what has got you to that point, I don't take it lightly. I understand the day-to-day struggle that life can be quite hard with work and babies and kids and all those things, and we can joke about sleepless nights, but actually they're, they're quite tough. And, uh, <clears throat> and I know what it's like to be in a place where you just ask, Lord, ask the Lord why, what are you doing here, and things like that. Uh, but in saying that, I also realize that what I've gone through doesn't come close to some of the things that some of you guys have gone through. And so I hope that this morning uh, you find my words full of compassion for you, no matter what you might find yourself in. And over this past year, I've had the privilege of walking through some of those things with some of you. And so I, I, I realize a taste of how difficult they can be. <clears throat> so if you feel like collapsing under all that you're going through, let these six truths be strong supports to hold yourself up or if you feel like you're being tossed around on the sea you can picture these as six big anchors to drop to hold firm so you can weather the storm so the first thing to remind ourselves of to help us in our perseverance comes from verse 2 I say to the Lord you are my Lord I have no good apart from you. So you can read this two ways. One way is that the only really good thing you have is God, which is true. The other way would be that every good thing you have in your life comes from God. I have no good apart from you. James 1.17 says, every good and perfect thing comes down from the Father of lights. <clears throat> and John the Baptist said in John 3.27, A person cannot receive one thing unless it is given him from heaven. Every good thing you have, you have because God in His great grace gave it to you, not because you earned it. It's true for your salvation. It's true for your education. It's true for your job. It's true for your house. It's true true for your family. Your success in business. You laid down last night. And the only reason your eyes open this morning is because of the grace of God on your life. 
A person cannot receive one thing unless it is given him from heaven. Every good and perfect thing comes down from the Father of lights. You have no good apart from God. When we operate as if we've earned our good, as if the good things in our life have come from our hand instead of God, then when those things are taken away, we feel wronged, we feel slighted, we feel cheated, and we cry out, it's not fair. I worked so hard to earn this. I worked so hard to climb the ladder, and now I'm being laid off. Why, God? Why don't you stop this? I earned it. And this is, this is foundational to our perseverance, I think, because when we start talking about how hard we've worked to earn our good, then we start talking about how we deserve things to go better and how we deserve a better life than the one that's been handed to us. And then ungratefulness creeps in and grumbling creeps in and you become more and more self-centered and you either cash it in on the life you have and try to run after another one or you just get more and more bitter as each day goes by. How we need to daily remind ourselves that we are not the source of good in our lives, but God is. If we operate with the idea that we have no good apart from God, then if we face suffering to the extent that Job did in the Bible where he lost his family, he lost his business, he lost all his possessions, he even lost his health, when we operate with the idea that we have no good apart from God, then we can say with him, the Lord gave and the Lord took away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. It's easy to sing about on a Sunday morning. It's a lot difficult when you're there. But to fight against bitterness and shut the door on ungratefulness, we need to declare to God, apart from you, I have no good thing, and let our heart increase in thankfulness, and let that thankfulness fuel our perseverance to follow after Him and to run the race that is set before us. So the first truth to declare to aid in our perseverance is I have no good apart from God. The second truth to declare, verse 3, as for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The second truth to declare is I need to be with the church. When we suffer, when we face hardships, we have a tendency to pull back, to close in, to shut down, shut ourselves off. But David talks about how he delights in being around other people who know and love God. You need the church. It's why the Bible says not to, de- to neglect meeting together. Because when we meet together, we stir each other up to love and good works and encourage one another. When we meet up with other people who love God and they start sharing about what God is doing in their lives, what they've been talking about at Life Group, uh, pieces in the Bible that they've been reading, when you pray together, it stirs you up to love and good works. And just... Let me just paint a picture of how that works, okay? Have you ever seen like a well drilled, great big drill or auger going down into the ground, right? 
So the Bible says that when we meet together, it's like a big drill going down on you, okay? And it's stirring you up into love and good works and encouraging you. So that drill goes down and the rocks and stuff that were deep down, they get caught up in that auger and they get stirred up, right? So when you meet together, so this morning we meet together, we're singing, you're talking to other people who love God, you're hearing verses read, you're hearing uh, pictures said, and it's just like that big auger on your heart and the things that were once deep down and dark and kind of depressed down in there are just getting turned up and stirred up into love and good works. That's what the Bible says in Hebrews 10.25. That when we meet together, we're being stirred up. And so it's just like you're getting caught in those blades of that drill. And so it's like, we were doing this at Life Group. Have you heard this song? I've been reading this lately. Let me pray for you about that. And all of a sudden, you fly out of the top of the hole into the light. You see that? Or am I just making that up? Okay. So how many of you came this morning and you felt like you were deep down in that dark pit and then you saw people that you love, you started worshiping God, and you're already a couple revolutions up that auger and you haven't even talked to anyone about what a crappy week you have. Right? And you're already getting stirred up into love and good works and encouraging one another. And so, if you're like, yeah, I agree, but Sundays are pretty far apart. Yeah, they're like six days apart. And that's why it's so important for you not just to be here Sunday morning and not just to meet with people who know and love Jesus on a Sunday morning. It's why we pump life group. It's why we pump tag. It's why you need to, to cultivate friendships with other people who love Jesus and talk about more than who your team is going to draft. Okay? You've got to take your conversations to a deeper level so you can start to be stirred up to love and good works. We pump life group not because we think it's a cool idea, but because we want that auger on your heart stirring you up into love and good works. <clears throat> so you can persevere in life and get up out of that pit. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, let your light shine before men so they could see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And yeah, it's about evangelism, but it also applies within the church. Okay, So you meet with people who worship and love God and they see your good works and then they start to take their eyes off themselves and off their suffering and start to glorify God in heaven. So let your light shine and be around people whose lights are shining and then you can get your eyes off yourself and inward and then lift them upward and glorify God. So let the church fuel your perseverance. Let Thanksgiving fuel your perseverance and let the church fuel your perseverance. the third anchor to drop in our perseverance, the third support to prop under you is from verse 4. The sorrows of those who run after another god shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their name on my lips. And so the third truth is 
the sorrows or running after another God will only bring me sorrow. How easy is it for us to chase after other gods in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our hardship, to find some comfort? We encounter hardship, we get bitter, we isolate ourselves, and without the base of God is the source of all my good, and without the realization that we need to be around other people who love Him, we begin to look for other things to run after to find our comfort, to find our fulfillment, and to find the good that we feel God isn't giving us. But David tells us that when we do that, all we will do is multiply our sorrow. So you hit your struggle, whatever it might be, a bad day at work, stressful day at home, a failed test, a diagnosis from the doctor, a disagreement with your wife, some girl rejects you, none of those are sins, but when we encounter those hardships, we'll run somewhere, and the question is, where will we run? And if we run after other gods to find our delight, we will not only not get delight, but we will just multiply the sorrow that we began with. So after your tough day of work, and you run to pornography, you multiply your sorrow. <clears throat> you run to alcohol in your struggle, you multiply your sorrow. You run to work and work and work, you multiply your sorrow. You run to food, you run to sports, you run to pushing your children in life so you can gloat over their accomplishments. Sorrow, sorrow, sorrow. You were made with a desire inside yourself that none of those false gods can satisfy. Nothing else was meant to help you persevere through your hardship. So you have the high of lust and then you're just left with loneliness and guilt. Alcohol can let you escape for a while, but eventually you have to wake up to reality and your hard life is still there. Eventually you have to go home from work. And if you put all, if the God you've been chasing is the success of your children, one day they'll strike out or make some really dumb decisions in high school and then put the dagger through your heart when they say they don't want to get a degree at UMB. So let me just say this, that if you're hearing this and you have been chasing after other gods and you've been saying, you know, when my life gets hard, I go here for comfort and I go here and I go here. And you're saying, you know, I don't really have that sorrow that you're talking about. My life goes pretty good. When hardship comes, I run here and I get great joy. I don't have any sorrow. Then you should take what I'm saying not as not true, but take it as a warning from God's Word. Chasing other gods will only lead to multiplied sorrow. And God in His great grace and mercy on your life is allowing you to hear 
His Word this morning so that you can stop chasing other things and start running to Him. He wants to save you from that sorrow. So let thankfulness fuel your perseverance. Let the church fuel your perseverance. And let the promise of the emptiness of sin fuel your perseverance and run to an all-satisfying God. Fourth truth. I have no good apart from God. I need to be with the church. Running after other gods will only bring me sorrow. And the fourth one comes from verse 5 to 7. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. The Lord gives you counsel because the fourth truth is God has a plan for my life. He holds your lot. He knows what's ahead, your inheritance. He counsels you and instructs you because He has a plan. He knows what He is doing. If you have your Bibles, go to Jeremiah 29. A lot of you know verse 11. Probably not many of you know verse 10. But we'll look at Jeremiah 29, 10 to 11. God says, for thus says the Lord, when, or Isaiah, or Jeremiah speaking through the Lord says, for thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for wholeness and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. So when God declared, I know the plans I have for you, he just got telling them that this captivity they were under was going to last for 70 years. 70 years. Plans to give you a future and a hope look great on a coffee cup. 70 years captivity doesn't really look great on a coffee cup. But, But the way He comforts them in that is He says, yeah, 70 years of captivity, but I have a plan and I know what I'm doing. This is going to be hard, but I know what I'm doing. I have plans for you and I know them. I haven't forgotten them and they are plans for your good. Ephesians says that He chose you before the foundations of the world. And if He did that, then this hardship that you're going through hasn't caught Him by surprise. Okay? He didn't hear the doctor give you the diagnosis and look over his shoulder and go, what? Whoa, where did that one come from? Okay, he's got a plan. It's the only reason that you can trust him. So you go to a certain university because you believe that the professors there have a plan to educate you. You join a sports team because you believe the coach has a plan to win. God has a plan and it's a good plan for you. You trust Him with your salvation. You trust the plan that He laid out is a good plan. And so you trust Him with your eternity. So trust Him with your every day. Psalm 139 says, All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. 
So that means before August 31st, 1983, I'll be 30 this year, yes. Before August 31st, 1983, God had this day written in His book about my life. And you can say, well, how can that be? How can God have that written in His book when I've made 10,000 decisions to get me here at this place, some of them very poor decisions? And I say, yes. Because... <laughs> You don't have to understand it. Let it blow your mind, but let it skyrocket your trust in an all-knowing God who has a plan. You don't have to know how all that works, but you can focus on the things you do know. You do know He is the one who is for you. You do know that He is the one who works all things together for good uh, for those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. You do know that He is the one who takes what is meant for evil and means it for good. Those are the things you know. Hang on them. God has a plan for your life. So, the fourth truth, God has a plan for my life and let your trust in Him fuel your perseverance. So we have Thanksgiving fueling our perseverance, the church fueling our perseverance, the promise of the emptiness of sin fueling our perseverance, and our trust in an all-knowing God who has a plan for our life fueling our perseverance. The fifth truth to declare comes from verse <clears throat> verse 8. I have set the Lord always before me. Because He is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. God is with me in the midst of my suffering. David declares that this struggle that he is going through will not shake him. Because He is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. It won't move Him off His present course because God is at His right hand. The reason, the reason David didn't fear when he walked through the valley of the shadow of death is because God was with him. Right? Flip over to Isaiah 41. And when we talked about the 70 years captivity for Israel, in Isaiah 41, so in our last point, we looked at how God had a plan for them in their captivity. But in Isaiah 41, we see He doesn't just have a plan for them in their captivity. He's with them in their captivity. Okay? So, from Isaiah 40, to 55, those chapters are, are the Lord comforting Israel for their future captivity. So Isaiah's before Jeremiah. They haven't been led off into captivity. God spoke through Isaiah to say, this captivity is coming and this is what I'm going to do in that captivity. Okay? So Isaiah 41, 8-13. to 13. <clears throat> He says, but you, Israel, my servant Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend, you whom I took from the ends of the earth and called 
from its farthest corners, saying to you, You are my servant, I have chosen you and not cast you off. Fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, I will help you, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Behold, all who are incensed against you shall be put to shame and confounded. Those who strive against you shall be as nothing and shall perish. <clears throat> you shall seek those who contend with you, but you shall, not, you shall not find them. Those who war against you shall be as nothing at all. For I, the Lord your God, hold your right hand. It is I who say to you, fear not, I am the one who helps you. So he says, I'm not sitting back watching you go through this. I have chosen you. I won't cast you off. I'm with you. I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And I'm holding your right hand and whispering in your ear, don't fear, I'm here. That's what he says in those verses. Flip a couple pages over. Isaiah 43.2 He says, When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. Because He is with you when you go through those things. He doesn't promise that you won't go through those things. He promises that He will be with you in them. And Psalm 34.18 says He is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. So whatever you might be going through this morning, even if it's just, even if it's just the day-to-day stresses of life, remind yourself of the truth that God is with you. When Paul wrote Romans 8.35, he didn't promise that we won't have suffering that He promises that our suffering will not separate us from Christ. What shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? To which the implied answer is a resounding no. Nothing will separate you. <clears throat> so remind yourself of the truth that He is with you and let His presence strengthen your perseverance. I have no good apart from God. I need to be with the church. Running after other gods will only bring me sorrow. Uh, God has a plan for my life and God is with me in the midst of my suffering. And so our perseverance is fueled by thanksgiving, by the church, by the promise of the emptiness of sin, by God's, by our trust in God who has a plan for our life, and by the presence of God who walks through our hardship with us. And the last truth to remind ourselves of, the last prop to support us so we can persevere, verse 11, you make known to me the path of life, in your presence there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. It's one of my favorite verses, and you've probably heard me say it a fair amount already. But the last truth is this. This life is temporary. 
heaven is forever and awesome. <clears throat> this life is temporary. Heaven is forever and awesome. And not to disregard any of the goodness and the joy and the peace and His Spirit with us as we walk through this life and His new mercies every morning. We don't disregard those, but the Bible makes it clear this is not your home. And as Christians, I think we find it hard to persevere through this life because we spend so little time thinking of heaven or have such a low view of what it is. <clears throat> the journey is hard because we don't have a very high view of our destination. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16 2nd <clears throat> Corinthians 4:16 says so we do not lose heart so we do not lose heart so we do not lose heart though our outer nature is wasting away our inner nature is being renewed day by day for this slight momentary affliction is preparing for us an e eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison <clears throat> and if you read chapter one he says that the struggle he is going through is beyond what he can bear and he even despaired of life itself but in view of what awaits him when he starts looking at what awaits him this burden that was once what he despaired of and almost brought him to his to the end of his life is now just a light and momentary affliction <clears throat> his words changed because he began seeing it through the lens of eternity and the heaven that awaited him. And so as a Christian, you can always say, no matter what you're going through, no matter what age you are, your best days are yet ahead of you. You can say it at 15. You can say it at 85. Your best days are yet ahead of you. Because ahead of you waits a weight of glory beyond all comparison. And Hebrews tells us that this is the very way that Jesus persevered through what He went through. It says He persevered because He looked ahead to the joy that was set before Him. The joy set before Jesus was being in heaven, having a people redeemed, purchased by His blood, singing His praises and delighting in His presence. And the joy set before you is to be one of those people. To see Jesus face to face. To experience the pleasures that are found at the right hand of God. To be in the presence of one where there is fullness of joy. To be in the presence of an eternally, infinitely happy God who when you arrive to heaven, you don't have to wonder if he's had a bad day or is in a bad mood or is angry. It's fullness of joy. And it's not just for 10,000 years. It's pleasures forevermore. It's an eternal weight of glory. There is no end. <clears throat> so I know that whatever you might be going through can seem big and it can seem overwhelming. And I don't want to uh, minimize what you're going through, 
but God wants you to operate with heavenly eyes. He wants you to look at your life through the lens of eternity. And when we do that, when we grasp the weight of the joy that waits us, awaits us in God's presence, when we look ahead to the joy that God has in store that will have no end, there will be no end to it, that's when we can say this is just a light and momentary affliction, even if before looking through that lens, it brought you to the brink of your life like it did with Paul. This is just a vapor. This life is just a vapor that appears for a moment and then vanishes. And some have a great life, seem to have a great life with very little suffering, and other people go through incredible hardship that we can't even comprehend. But when we step back, no matter what your life is like, it's just a two-second slice, and then with Him or not, for eternity. Forever. So how different would your day-to-day decisions be if you made them in light of the eternal weight of glory that awaits you? How different would you view the difficulty of your life if you looked at it through the lens of eternity? Even the longest, most painful struggles are just a passing moment next to eternity. So daily remind yourself that this love life is temporary, heaven is forever and awesome, and let the joy of eternity with God fuel your perseverance. I have no good apart from God. I need to be with the church. Running after other gods will only bring me sorrow. God has a plan for my life. God is with me in the midst of my suffering. And heaven awaits me. And it will be awesome. And it will last forever. And when I compare what I'm going through now to what awaits me, it will be like that. And it will be a light and momentary affliction. We need to be anchored in these truths because the world is watching how we handle our difficulties. The world is watching how we handle job loss. The world is watching how we handle diagnosis of cancer. The world is watching how we handle the stresses of raising children. The world is watching how we handle financial struggles. Just because we follow Christ when things are going well shows them nothing. It's when we follow Him and cling to Him when everything else seems to be falling down that shows them He is our treasure above all else. When you count everything as loss next to the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus, then you can lose everything and still press on. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your goodness to us. We thank You that You are such a great and gracious God. And we do say we want to press on and persevere towards You. We thank You for the truth of Your Word. And we pray, Father, that we would cling to the truth of Your Word and cling to the presence of Your Son and His sacrifice for our sins. Help us to look ahead to what awaits us in this eternal weight of glory 
that is beyond all comparison. Forgive us for spending so little time thinking of what awaits us and having such a low view that heaven will be boring and all these things that we say, we want to be in your presence forever, Father. And we say that in light of that, what we're going through now is just a light and momentary affliction. We pray, Father, that you would equip us with your spirit to press on to know you and to know your son and to be in fellowship with him. We thank you, Father, and we pray that we would count everything as loss next to knowing your son and being in his presence. We thank you, Father. Amen.